from all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. No contract, no If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, unions are going up. KFC workers are walking out. SPLC Union has ratified their contract and more on the program today. If you want to be part of the program, we've got a phone number. And this week, the line is open. The line is open. You can call or text. Call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. And you can get on the air and chat with us. You can get on the air and chat with us. Oh, that's... (laughs) That's... That is the sound... That is the sound of the call <laughs> of the phones being opened up. Sorry about we, that, we, Jacob. No worries. We can mute that. Um, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. You know the phones are open now. You can call, no lie. You it's, can, it's real. No it's, lie. It's open. It is real and it's open. You can call or text and talk to us about anything that you want. Um, and you can also leave a voicemail throughout the week. Uh, you can call any time of the week and leave us a voicemail and we might answer it on the program. Uh, so folks, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you want, uh, just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online where everywhere you can find anything online, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, newly on TikTok, all at the Valley Labor Report. Just search for the Valley Labor Report wherever you find anything. Podcasts, we're all there. Uh, just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. Uh, so if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation, buy our new hat or our new shirts, Go to our website, tvlr.fm, or become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Adam, let's throw up those new shirts, though, because they are awesome. They're awesome. So everybody knows the go to church sign on I-65 down around Montgomery. Uh, Go to church or the devil will get you. Well, uh, we did a little play on that, and we've got a shirt with that design, with that billboard on it. But it says, join a union or the boss will get you. Join a union or the boss will get you. And uh, that's true. And it's funny. And it is culturally relevant 
two union members here in Alabama. So check that out at our store on tvlr.fm. Getting a lot of buzz on social media about that shirt. So if you're interested, go ahead and get your pre-orders in now. Yes, get your pre-orders in now because unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, we are not getting big Soros bucks like some people on this radio station get big Coke brother uh, bucks. Some people on this station are funded by the Koch brothers. We are not funded by the Koch brothers or George Soros. So we have to, um, so we don't have a big budget where we can just buy hundreds of shirts um, and have a big stock of them in, 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 you know, in my closet. So if you want one, you, you, you do need to go and get it. We're going to buy a few extra. Basically, we're going to all of the pre-orders that we get and pre-orders are going to be open for about a month. So mid-August is when we're going to close it. And uh, as soon as we close pre-orders, we're basically going to use all of the money that we get from pre-orders to buy extra and, and we're going to buy extra shirts. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get the color shirt that you like or the size shirt that you need um, just because we're only going to be able to buy, I don't know, maybe a dozen, maybe 20 extra shirts. So you, if you want one, you do need to make uh, you do need to pre-order it uh, just to make sure that you can get the kind and the size that you want so go to our store tvlr.fm and that is a uh, union made shirt and your payment is processed by a union payment processing service so trying to practice what we preach and you will navigate to the store from our union made website all of this union made in the usa unlike some of the other people on the station who use uh, <laughs> foreign slave labor made merchandise, not in the USA. Um, but, uh, but they're the real patriots. And if you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. Um, in addition to listener funding, our, the, the locals, the local unions that sponsor the show, they really do help. Um, it's very, uh, we, we could not do it without them. So if you're a member of a union, you should get your local or your international to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us for more details on that. Um, so let's get to this good story, this good uh, feel-good story here. Hmm. That's weird. They're saying that they didn't hear the intro music on the radio, but that's fine. So... Um, Let's get to this story here, a good news story. The recent wave of organizing news has been at least somewhat reflected in some numbers released by the National Labor Relations Board, which is the government agency responsible with enforcing the National Labor Relations Act. According to the board, during the first nine months of fiscal year 22, union representation petitions filed at the NLRB have increased 56 percent, up to 1900 35 union representation petitions, which is uh, up from 1,240 during the same period in fiscal year 2021. And at the same time, unfair labor practice charges have increased 14.5% from 11,400 to 13,100. So we can see that as more and more workers are standing up for a better life for themselves, their families, and their communities, the bosses are breaking the law even more to stop it. 
And amid this record, um, this huge increase among organizing activity and uh, criminal actions by the owning class here in this country, this increase in workload for the agency has not been matched by an increase in funding. In fact, in real dollars, the budget of the National Labor Relations Board has been cut by 25% since 2010. It is absolutely um, really, really disgusting. And, and you know, uh, cut by Democrats and Republicans, and which Republicans are supposed to be the law and order party. And uh, just a reminder, folks, the National Labor Relations Act the act that governs governs labor relations in the private sector is the law in the country. Um, but, uh, uh, but the corporate parties, they only care about enforcing law and order when the people who are going to be punished are working people, are poor people, not the bosses. They don't want to enforce the law on the bosses. Staff has obviously tracked this funding cut since 2002, Staff has been cut by 39% overall with a 50% decrease in field staff. We know here in our in Alabama from our conversation with Joseph Webb, president of the National Labor Relations Board Union Local 10, that the Birmingham office has a staff of four currently. A staff of four in an office that would be fully staffed at 10 to 12. And this tracks with what we've uh, reported on in terms of the EEOC as well. And I imagine we could find the same kind of statistics for OSHA and any other agency that's meant to actually protect working people. Exactly. Exactly. But again, uh, you know, I thought that Republicans were a law and order party. So you would think that Republicans being law and order folks, people who want to enforce the law and who don't care about who don't care about politics, they're just like, look, just the laws on the books is the laws on the books, and we have to enforce that. We have to enforce that, irrespective of maybe what our individual politics are. We have to enforce the law. You would think that they would be, uh, they would want to be um, funding the law enforcement officials <laughs> at the NLRB, but they don't because um, the people that would be on the other end of that. Uh, on the under, other end of those punitive measures would be bosses, would be the wealthy, not working people. Also known as the uh, primary contributors to right. their political parties. Right. Now, it is, uh, uh, now, as far as the numbers going up, though, it is important to put these in their proper context. 2021, which is what these numbers, uh, is what, which is what the union petition numbers were being compared against, we saw a 56% increase in union petitions during the same uh, during fiscal year 2022, during the first nine months, 56 percent increase from fiscal year 2021. It's important to point out that 2021 was a record low for new organizing. So the numbers aren't quite skyrocketing so much as they are coming up to the levels of 2010, which is the highest of the last you know 10 to 15 years, to be sure, but not astronomically so. Um, Connor Lewis on Twitter, editor of the Strike Wave Labor Journalism Collective, pointed that out, and so that that's some important context, I think. Right, I think we can recognize the positive trend here, while you know being realistic about 
um, how it sits historically. Right. Obviously, we have a, a ton of room to catch up to where we were even 20, 30 years ago, which weren't exactly, you know, right. great periods for labor. <laughs> right. Uh, but it is absolutely promising that we're seeing this increase. And I think it tracks with just the general energy that we see uh, primarily from young workers at Starbucks, as well as, you know, the Amazon campaigns and some of the other high profile campaigns that we're seeing across mm-hmm. the country. Right, right. Speaking of new organizing, though, some unorganized Hartzell, Alabama, KFC workers walked out a couple of weeks ago over a broken air conditioner uh, and the company's retaliation against them as they tried to get it fixed. Local news was on it. So let's take a listen to WHNT's coverage. Um, I will warn you, though, it would not be a local news segment without a dad joke to kick it. <laughs> of course. Employees at the Hartzell Kentucky Fried Chicken tell News 19 chicken isn't the only thing cooking. They say they walked out over the weekend because of working conditions. News 19's Madison Neal has more. Employees here at the Hartzell KFC tell me that the air conditioning system was broken for over a month. It, it was just miserable. I mean, you, you got to think, w- w- as hot as it is outside, and then we have ovens and fryers and different cookers. Tay Edwards says the air went out in mid-May, and he tried to get the problem fixed for weeks. They got to July 2nd, and there was still not anything done. There was 95 degrees in our store that day. I just got tired of putting them through that. I'm looking at my employees, they're wore out, they're, they're sweating, they're, they're red, and I just made a decision, hey, this is what we're going to do. Edwards says he decided to close the restaurant on July 2nd. I feel like I ran out of options. I had contacted everybody I knew to contact, and still nothing was getting done. I mean, nobody was even communicating with me. And as a leader, I felt like that was my responsibility to take care of my employees. And so that's what I did. Now, I took that sacrifice knowing that me being terminated may be the outcome, but I could not keep putting them through that. And Edward says that cost him his job. Monday, July 4th, I was notified that I was no longer employed, employed and that if the rest of the employees didn't return to work by Tuesday morning, they would be terminated as well. His former employees say he was wrongfully terminated and want KFC to give Edwards his job back. Him looking out for our well-being, there ain't nothing bad, there ain't nothing bad about that. He, there, was, there was no reason for anything to be done except for getting our air fixed. Employees here say that only one of the multiple units of the air conditioning system has been fixed at this time. I did go inside to check things out today and can confirm it's still really hot in there. Reporting in Hartzell, Madison Neal, News 19. News 19 reached out to the franchise owners in KFC, and Kentucky Fried Chicken spokesperson issued us a statement saying, when the AC unit failed, the franchisee who owns the location installed temporary AC units and fans, and a replacement unit was ordered. As with many items in the supply chain currently, there was a delay in the arrival of the replacement unit, which took the new unit has been installed. While the franchise, franchisee cannot comment on personnel matters, we can confirm no termination occurred due to this employee complaint. So now for folks that are just listening, you could not see the pictures of the thermostat at 97 degrees inside for people that are just listening on the podcast later or maybe on the radio. Um, but uh, uh, but also. And and also, I think uh, some some of the folks on the radio were not able to hear that clip uh, or were not able to hear all of that clip. Yeah. And uh, just want to 
apologize to anyone listening if you were not able to hear that segment from WHNT. We've run into quite a bit of tech issues this morning. Uh, we've had a hot streak lately of, of no technical glitches or errors for several shows in a row. Uh, but we've had some issues this morning, so we do apologize if you were not able to hear that segment from WHNT. And again, that was a Madison Neal's report recently. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And so, so uh, there were an air conditioner was out for a month or two, you know, it, within this crazy 100, deg- 100 degree weather that we've been having. While frying chicken. While frying chicken. And the general manager closed the store because he felt it was unsafe for the workers to begin working or to continue working, uh, at least for that day with, uh, with the projected highs. And uh, he was fired. He was fired by KFC for taking his employees' uh, safety into consideration. And uh, KFC had the gall to tell WHNT that no employee was fired for uh, complaining, which is super lawyer speak um, because, you know, it, it, it really just amounts to a lie because the guy was fired. There was no contestation of the fact that he was fired his employees implied that they realized he was fired and so probably what the company was saying when they said that there was nobody fired quote due to the complaint that's lawyer weasel words and they would say if pressed that he was fired for violating procedures and closing the store for it being dangerously hot not because of the complaint so he should have made the employees come to work in a 100 plus degree kitchen for 12, 14 hours a day, as opposed to closing the store while they wait for the air conditioning to be fixed. It's a shame, uh, and it's not that uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, Those of us who've worked in the restaurant industry know that this can happen uh, and how Mm -hmm. dangerous it can be. Um, It Really, I, I commend this individual for, even though he's a general manager, right? um, you know, general managers in the fast food industry are uh, pretty exploited themselves and are often, uh, you know, workers that were basically talked into this promotion with the promise of salary and perks that mm-hmm. usually don't materialize. So I really commend this individual for putting the safety and well-being of, of the employees uh, above not just the store's profit margins, but his own employment. Uh, he knew it was a risk to do what he did and unfortunately kfc responded by firing him right and you know i i don't know what the outcome is going to be ultimately uh with his case but really uh it's it's heartbreaking to see it's it's inspiring to see his his courage but heartbreaking to see the response by the company uh and uh again i i do thank madison neal at whnt for covering this story um you know, local news is very, very hit and miss when it comes to worker issues. So I do appreciate mm-hmm. that they were willing to actually interview him and another worker. Um, and, you know, they did include KFC's statement, but it was there at the end. And I think anyone paying attention could piece together. It was BS. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so, folks, we're going to go to a break really quick, and uh, we will be right back talking to some folks from the SPLC union and giving you an update on the Derrick Street camp eviction. So make sure you stay tuned. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. Mm-hmm. 
Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. It's that time of year again, Christmas in July. Monday, July 25th at 305 8th Street. Christmas in December is when we receive the gifts that we wish for. Christmas in July at 305 is a time to address residents' needs. Clothing, socks, underwear, bedding, and more. <laughs> or maybe just a treat or two thrown in for fun. To add to the fun, individually wrap each item. A needs list for each resident will be provided. Email CYDNEY at 305 8 Call 256-777-9642. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union 
has come in your Alabama's only union talk radio show. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, we've had a few technical difficulties. Um, there was some lightning here at the studio, here at the Spice Radio studio, and uh, it knocked out the power and, uh, last week. And when it did that, uh, it must have left several gremlins <laughs> in the wires. So we appreciate your patience. Um if you want to give us a call, be a part of the program. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also text the show, uh, and we can see it there as well. And you can join the chat in Facebook and YouTube. We've got Martha and Mel from Central Alabama watching us on Facebook. We appreciate y'all. I'm sure we've got Joe in the audience. We talked about lawyers a little bit ago, and Martha and Mel said uh, lawyers should be kept in a glass case, <laughs> marked break <laughs> in case only in case of emergency. Um, and we will hold off judgment on that because uh, we love our <laughs> sponsor, Jack Jacobs. So don't want to upset him. Yeah, with the exception of <laughs> union with lawyers. Exception, with the exception of union lawyers. Yeah. Um, and then in the YouTube chat, we've got a few po- folks. We've got uh, Jared and Strom and some others hanging out watching us on YouTube. We appreciate you joining us and hanging out in the chat. Um Absolutely. And thanks again for everyone's patience with the technical issues today. Yep. So while we wait on our sisters and brothers from the SPLC union, I'll give you an update on the Derrick Street camp eviction. So 30 people, uh, 45 people, actually, 45 people who were still at the Derrick Street camp uh, where unhoused folks were staying. uh, They were moved to other camps yesterday and thus kept out of jail by volunteers from Love Huntsville, the North Alabama Democratic Socialists of America, the Huntsville Huntsville Bail Fund, and the Southern Poverty Law Center. There were four National Lawyers Guild trained legal observers there to monitor the dozen or more cops who did not offer to help these residents move their things. Can you just imagine, can you imagine actually being a cop uh, and you've got 20 of y'all 12 or more, a dozen or more people hanging out and just watching volunteers and disabled homeless folks try to move their things into a community-sponsored U-Haul to move somewhere else. And you just sit there and watch them. Like, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine just being a person, much less somebody literally getting paid by the taxpayer to to be there i can't imagine me as an individual person not being paid to be there and just watching somebody work and not offering to help and these people are sitting there on their tax-funded salaries just intimidating folks just literally there to intimidate people as they try to move their things so that they don't get sent to jail for just existing without a home I can't imagine, I cannot, I literally, I was raised better than that. I, w- I was raised with home training, mm-hmm. as we say in the South, with some amount of, some amount of decency 
that was not that that fortunately for me has not been beat out by training. Most of these residents are disabled. It would have been impossible for them to move and to move their things without support, which community members gave them, but the city and the cops did not. Most of the residents' property was able to be moved to other homeless camps. That's that's good to hear. At uh, undisclosed locations. Again, no thanks to the cops who stood there on their taxpayer-funded salaries, not doing literally anything. Volunteers from First Stop, who was the official designee by the city for the moving of the residents, stood there and uh, yucked it up with the cops who were standing there to intimidate people. To be fair, uh, folks that were there yesterday said that the first stop people did transport one woman down the road and give out three tenths. Um, and they maybe gave somebody a bus pass, but our sources say that uh, they saw the bus passes, but did not see them getting passed on to residents and did not see the first stop volunteer talk to the residents uh, who were being displaced by the city. Resources provided by the city to these residents, to these unhoused folks, have vaporized. The Salvation Army, which is one of the places that the city told these people they could go, is closed until at least the 18th because it is under quarantine because there's been a COVID outbreak there. On Tuesday night, the downtown rescue mission, which is another place that the city told these people they could go, was so full that they had people on mats in the hallway. Again, this is before the eviction where there were 60 or more people displaced by the city. Hotel vouchers were promised by the city for um, uh, for these people to uh, to transition into different, uh, in, you know, living in different places. But none of the re- residents received one. First stop may have put up one or two people in hotels who were previously their clients, and the SPLC put up one of their clients, uh, but there was no broad based. Uh, uh, placement in hotels, which was promised by the city to these unhoused and disabled residents. So that's the disappointing, but not surprising response from the city of Huntsville. And I just want to, again, thank the folks from Love Huntsville, Huntsville Bail Fund, North Alabama DSA and SPLC who uh, were able to make it out Mm -hmm. there Thursday and Friday uh, the folks who have donated to those uh, causes, but especially those who, who showed up as volunteers uh, mm-hmm. to help people move and to serve as legal observers. Uh, if you missed our interview last week with a couple of organizers from Love Huntsville and Huntsville Bail Fund, definitely check it out to get some more background and context on this issue. Yes. Yeah. Get, and we will be talking to them some more um, to dive a little bit deeper. But I did just want to give you that update. Um, and I mean, I mean, honestly, I was I, I shouldn't have been. But when I was talking to the folks yesterday who were doing this and who were volunteering their time unpaid on a work day, <laughs> you know, taking off work to support these people. I was I was actually shocked, which I shouldn't have been, but I was actually shocked that there were 12 to 20 or more cops there fully paid by the city, literally just 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 standing around with guns on their hips, intimidating. I I, I can't I can't imagine I can't imagine having so little house training that you would be 
It's bizarre to me. It's totally, totally bizarre to me as somebody who grew up in the South, who grew up being told to respect your neighbors and to not loaf around. I just, I, it's bizarre. I can't understand it. Speaking of the Southern Poverty Law Center, let's go to our next guests. Um, who all have we got? I know that uh, Esteban Gill uh, was going to be here. Do we have anybody else in the Zoom, or is it just going to be Esteban today? Oh, we have Esteban and we have Greg Faulkner here. So, uh-huh. Esteban and Greg Faulkner, we appreciate uh, y'all being willing to join us. So, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a nonprofit legal advocacy organization headquartered in Alabama whose employees unionized way back in 2019. The organization finally began bargaining with its workers in November of 2020, and just last week, the workers ratified the final contract with a vote of 169 to 1. So that's a landslide vote there. And so here to talk to us about the bargaining process and the contract itself, we've got SPLC union members Esteban Gill and Greg Faulkner, folks. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, Would y'all care to introduce yourselves? uh, Tell us what your role is at the SPLC and your role in the union. Go ahead, Greg. Okay. Hi, I'm Greg Faulkner. Um, I am in development, which is the outreach. I've been with the center for going on almost eight and a half years. And my role was I was in the, the unionizing committee. I was a part of the bargaining committee as well. And my name is Esteban Gill. I'm uh, in the New Orleans office of SPLC. And uh, my uh, I started with the organizing committee back two and a half years ago when we started this and um, been a negotiator here with Greg. Uh, down to the wire now, and I've been at SPLC for almost six years. Wow, awesome. So a couple members of the bargaining committee here and both folks who were involved in the initial organizing effort. Um, so really great to have you all here, all of your experience with the union uh, with the union effort. And for folks who were not able to hear that on the radio, we're getting that audio fixed. But Greg Faulkner um, was, uh, it was a member of the organizing committee and the bargaining committee, as was Esteban Gill. So Esteban has been... Um, uh, you know, Esteban's been on the program to talk to us about this before, uh, but Greg hasn't. So, Greg, would you care to talk us through your thoughts through this, you know, incredibly long process? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first of all, yes, and I forgot to mention, I am in the Montgomery office, out of the Montgomery office. It's, uh, it's to me, it was sad that we had to unionize to. Um, get it, you know, get everyone where they are right now. And at, at points, I was like, you know, wanting to just give up because it was, it was, it was stressful at times, but the outcome, you know, hey, it made it all worth it, you know, and just to seeing that we did get our first contract, although some, it didn't fix everything, but it fixed a whole lot. So to see that we had so much support, now, when we, ratif- we come up with a new contract, we have even more support and it could be better, you know. So that was my thought process. 
you know, like it went from, you know, like, wow, when it's going to be over to like, okay, I, I wish it to be over. And now that it's over, we can just sit back and reflect on, you know, everything that was, you know, we, um, how it came to be uh, at this point as of last week. And it's very gratifying. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you know, it is you, you mentioned at the beginning of it that it's sad that you had that you did feel like you had to unionize to fix some of these issues. Um, I, I would say that I, I think even if, um, you know, you've got the best workplace in the world, you should still unionize because um, it can always change. <laughs> and I think that y'all have got some amount of experience with that, uh, with things changing without very much, uh, without very much warning. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, I just think it's, I think it's important for workers, even in the best of workplaces to have some amount of say over what happens. Uh, but definitely it would be a lot better if you didn't have to go through all this to get the things that you deserve. Um, and, and you didn't face so much, um, you know, so much resistance to some basic stuff. Uh, Greg, what would you say some of the major points of contention were during the bargaining process? Hmm. That's a good question. But uh, I would just say, <clears throat> to me, it was a pushback from management from every angle. You know, that was, I mean, from every angle, from the people that was doing the groundwork and actually knew what was best for the organization as well as ourselves. But that was the main thing, you know, like we just, and then eventually they saw some of our points, <laughs> as you would say. But, uh, yeah, that was the main thing, just a major pushback from management and actually being an organization that we represent to have much pushback from management didn't make any sense at all. And, you know, so that's why you would like to elaborate on any more if I missed anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we learned um, is that even in the nonprofit industry, it's still an industry. We're still workers. A boss is a boss. Um, and they care about certain things, right? They care about power. Um, you know, they, they've had a hard time understanding that the relationship is two-way now, not one-way when you have a union. Um, and we've had to disabuse them of their notions on that right um over and over and over again um you know it, it was interesting i didn't think like i thought money of course would be the biggest deal right um and we didn't get what everything we wanted in wages but um it was really power you know when it comes to wages we were able to achieve a forty-two thousand dollar minimum wage um, we've got 9% average raises for most people. Some of them are, our coworkers are getting 30, 40, 50% raises, right? Um, and so that was great, but you know, it was in power sharing where, where we ran into brick walls. It was just like, nope, we, we wanted to get employees on the board of directors. And that was a non-starter, right? We wanted mm. to get, um, some sort of processes for democratic decision-making and, and, you know, we, we won concessions certainly, um, but not the kind of, you know, not the kind of power sharing that we want between labor and management, but hmm. that's, that's a struggle for contract number two. And I right. think what we 
take out of this is that the organizing never stops, right? Um, that was the big lesson. It's like, you know, yes, we're, we're elated. We're happy. We're taking a little bit of a breather right now, mm. but the grievances are already starting, mm. you know, the, uh, the, 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 what are we going to do about this kind of questions are already starting. And, you know, we, we've got to now, structure our union so that it's democratic and responsive to members um, and so that we move forward and get ready for contract fight number two. And that's what I've been telling everybody. We got to look out for the long game here and, and, you know, build on what we've, like Greg said, build on what we've achieved now and come back in 2025, really ready to fight, ready to organize and win. How long is uh, the contract for? Three years. Three years. Good, good. Um, and how many people uh, were y'all asking for initially on the board of directors and how many people are on the board of directors? Oh, I can't. I, off the top of my head, I, I can't tell you, but we, we didn't win any sort of power sharing on that, on that level. We, we won a labor well, manager. I, I can, I'm just assuming yeah. it wasn't more than 50. You weren't asking for, for even 50%, I'm assuming, on the board of directors, were you? Oh, I can't remember what our initial proposal was. It was so long ago, but it, it, I think it was just for one or two union members on that board, right? Like that, that's ultimately a, a gain and what we thought was legal. But, you know, that's the, the complication of bargaining within the NLRA is that they can say it's a non-mandatory subject and, right, you know, right. short of mass mobilization, we can't force them to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that that is the... Um, that really goes to show the some of the major issues when you're talking about bosses and management and executives is that having one voting member on the board of directors was a non-starter. Uh, right. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine that? You know, it's just so bizarre that you would not be even open to the idea of having the people that are actually doing the work contribute in some sort of way to the running of your organization how short-sighted and tyrannical oh my I mean, it's it's bizarre well and i esteban i'm glad you shared that because that tracks with my experience of being on a bargaining team for a another ostensibly progressive organization headquartered in montgomery mm-hmm. uh and we had very similar struggles it, you know of course they never wanted to pay us what we wanted but they were much more willing to cough up some money than they were some power or, or actual right. input. Um, you know, if I recall correctly from from my time in that organization, even a non-voting member, mm. just a ceremonial member of the board of directors was like a bridge too far for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that speaks to one of your original points, which is, you know, a boss is a boss. And mm-hmm. If you work in public sector, if you work in private sector, if you work in nonprofit, at the end of the day, if you're an employee, you're selling your labor in exchange for some degree of salary or wages. Uh, and obviously, they wouldn't employ you if they did not get some value out of that labor. Right. And there is always going to be that struggle there, uh, you know, regardless of how progressive the organization may be or the employer may be. You know, it's easy to talk progressive until you get to the bargaining table. That's it. That's it. 
And, and, and of course, you know, you mentioned Adam, uh, you know, doing, uh, th- uh, this kind of situation with another ostensibly progressive organization. And of course, it's not just progressive organizations that do this kind of stuff. We talked to Joe Marshall, former president of the United Steelworkers, representing paper mill workers in Cortland, who during the big automation push in the eighties and nineties, um, when they were trying this team concept kind of thing, his local um, in Cortland was not about it. They were like, we're not interested. Um, and, but they always in bargaining when they did try to push some of this automation and, and some of the restructuring and stuff, they said, well, you know what, look, if you really want to try to, to say that we're a team, then let's actually give us uh, you know, give us, half power over the, you know, the direction of the company and, 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 you know, let's get rid of the management rights clause and let's, you know, uh, operate this together as labor and management. And of course, you know, uh, they wanted to use the word team uh, much like Starbucks wants to use the word partner, but they don't actually want to, (laughs) they don't actually want any sort of power sharing thing. (laughs) One thing I do want to touch on though, I just want to go over some of our gains here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that, other workers, whether they're in our field or not, um, you know, understand what, even though it's hard, it's better than begging, you know, and the yes. things that we won. First, to start off with, our organization used to have, still does have, of course, a lingering problem with uh, discrimination, sexual harassment, these, these things like that. Um, it was much worse in the past. And you know, new management, but also our union holding people accountable has improved that situation. But one of the things that we won is a prohibition on the use of non-disclosure agreements wow. for mm. settlements and things That's like great. that. Um, so that nobody will be silenced for their stories um, if harm is done to them. And we're, we're happy about that. We also won expanded leave for pregnancy loss and vac- more vacation time, more sick time, bereavement, gender affirmation. Um, personal days, parental leave. We also have a guaranteed one-week vacation every year, uh, closure of the office, um, guaranteed raises, longevity increases for our longest-serving members, um, a promotional process, which we've not had before. Um, it's going to be out there and clear for everybody to understand. Paid Seems so common sense, right? Like. Shouldn't we know how to get promoted? <laughs> Shouldn't we know that's, what the process that's is? That's still our biggest complaint of our of our members, right? Is like, wait a minute, so and so got promoted, I didn't. What is, you know, what's the deal? How do I move up? Right? Mm-hmm. These, you know, questions. The other one is since we're here talking over Zoom, um, originally they wanted to to make to force us to be on camera. And mm-hmm. and that that was our non-starter. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you can try to discipline us and we'll, we'll figure it out in grievances. And they saw the light on that after a while. Of course, we have Just Cause, um, which is, is what I tell all my, uh, you know, we have a lot of folks who have no experience with labor or what, that, what it means to be in a union, right? And so the first mm-hmm. thing I tell them is you have due process now when, when you're going to get fired, you know, um, in the same way that you would if, if you're accused of a crime. And, and that's been really game changing for people. We also have um, a sick leave bank, a remote work agreement. Um, so the majority of us, the vast majority of us can at least work from home at least two days a week. Um, and many of us anytime we want. Um, we also got location differentials so that folks who work in more expensive cities um, get a little bit of, a, of an adjustment uh, to that. So, and then of course the ability to add domestic partners 
um, outside of marriage to our health plans and things like that to recognize the diversity of, of people's arrangements and relationships. So um, overall, I think it's a great contract. And I think it's reflected in the fact that in a right in all of our states, except for DC is right to work. And we have close to 80% of people committed to being dues paying members of the union. So I think it, it reflects, um, you know, the, the satisfaction and, and, the excitement of our membership uh, in that. So, you know, we're, we're ready. We're ready to keep going and keep building and keep fighting. Yes. I I think that is impressive and hearing high union density numbers in, um, in your workplaces in right to work States is a very good measure of how effective your and responsive your organization is because it's, you know, it's going to be difficult to get 80, 90% of the people that could be in your bargaining unit to commit to being dues paying members to paying 20 bucks a pay period, you know, 30 bucks a pay period. If they're not seeing any sort of anything coming out of that. And, and so that definitely speaks to your responsiveness and your effectiveness and all of this stuff that you've laid out in the contract. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, y'all aren't going to be millionaires, but this is all really good, you know, solid, uh, pro family, you know, (laughs) kind of stuff that, uh, that is going to increase y'all's quality of life. And hopefully I think increase the, um, you know, increase the retention at the SPLC and, and build a, a staff that is, uh, better able to serve people in marginalized communities, people who are, uh, being attacked by the state, um, and, 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 you know, by malevolent forces in our society, uh, you know, being a better compensated, better taken care of staff is going to better enable y'all to carry out your mission. Absolutely. And also, uh, at least from my own personal opinion, I hope other people are listening uh, who are in similar situations and think to themselves, you know, hey, you know, I could quit my toxic job. Uh, and, you know, you should always do that if, if, if that's what's going to be best for you. Or I can put in some work and really transform things, you mm-hmm. know, um, because the, the nonprofit industry, we're all a lot of us are unionizing in our own local. We've got 24 new units um, bargaining or in bargaining or about to win their elections. Um, So I just want to make sure that folks listening know they can reach out to the SPLC union or the Washington Baltimore news guild. And let's talk, let's talk, let's Mm. see what you can do in your own workplace because, um, and, and this is how I think the way we convince people to sign up for our union was telling them, we need the, the money you pay in dues goes to support other people doing this. Like we've been doing it for free for the last three years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more of us that are in unions, the better it's going to be for our whole economy and our whole class. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah. I just got to say, I'm really, really yeah. proud to hear the sort of victories that y'all achieve with this contract that go far beyond just, you know, your, your bottom line salary, because there is so much more to your life as a worker than just your salary. Uh, and, you know, that's the one that grabs the attention because obviously we all need money to, to, to live. Uh, but as Jacob mentioned, yeah, very pro family. Uh, those are policies that are going to materially improve people's lives. And, you know, they shouldn't be controversial, uh, but I, I'm just really impressed and, and proud of y'all for what y'all achieved. 
Yep. So, Greg uh, Esteban, is there anything else that y'all wanted to add? Greg? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You, you hit everything in, in the fact that we have uh, tenured, tenured workers that have been like 30 plus years. The latest one that uh, she finally retired was, what, 42 years. Wow. And, wow. The company, and the company is only 50 years old. So for this contract to, to evolve like this, that's, it speaks volume. And that's it. That's all I have, guys. That's awesome. Uh, Greg Faulkner, Esteban Gill, we appreciate your time. Keep up the good work and your union and with the SBLC. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you down the road. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate the inspiration. Yep. All right, folks. Well, we're going to be going to a break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report, and we'll be right back with some news about Starbucks and teachers in Alabama. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. If you want to be part of the program, you can call anytime. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also text the show. You can join us in the YouTube or Facebook chat. We just had a great conversation with the SPLC union about their new contract that they ratified 169 to 1. A great contract. They got really good raises. Uh, They got some very good pro-family clauses in their contract. If you want to hear more of that conversation or anything else that we've talked about here on the program this morning, you can go to our YouTube page at the Valley Labor Report or... Find us wherever you get your podcasts at the Valley Labor Report, and you can hear all of our shows, including this one. So um, Starbucks is continuing its union busting campaign, now tacitly enlisting the help of right wing propagandists who are all too happy to set aside their differences with the ostensibly woke company, as long as it means hurting working people. Imagine that. Yeah. Prior to this week, they have been pretty flagrant in their violations of the law and so shameless as to use the overturning of Roe versus Wade and the imposition of religious folks, of of fundamentalist religious folks' ideas onto the bodies of everybody 
They've been so shameless as to use this to scare workers into not unionizing by offering abortion care to all workers except ones in unionized stores in clear violation of the law. That is obviously not legal, but they did it anyway. It also just doesn't make sense because they're telling the workers, you know, we can give it to the non-union stores, but for a union store, oh, we'll have to negotiate it, which, of course, is not true. It could just be a company-wide benefit that doesn't have to be negotiated, whether you have a contract or not. Uh, It's asinine. It's a flagrant violation of the law, and it's um, just more bad faith more bad faith and more union busting from Starbucks. Absolutely. Uh, Last week, though, they unleashed their latest attack, more store closures. What's unique about this round of 16 store closures, though, is that they are blaming it on, quote unquote, crime. Using this as a justification is irresistible to right wing weirdos who want to pretend that we have defunded the police. We haven't. Or, in fact, that we they want to pretend that we have done anything other than perform fellatio on cops and give them more and more money. And, of course, we haven't done anything other than perform fellatio on cops and give them more and more money. And, of course, this was no accident by Starbucks. It was no accident to pretend that they are closing these stores because of crime. And they had the gall to actually, in fact, pretend that this is uh, that this is a partner-oriented closure, that they are doing this to address partner concerns and implying that this is what the workers at these stores would have wanted is for their jobs to be <laughs> is to not have their jobs anymore, is to close the stores that they work in. Uh, so the freaks at the Daily Wire saw the bat signal and went right to work, pushing the narrative for the boss. And despite no supporting evidence being provided by Starbucks that the crime made these stores unprofitable or that this is what the workers themselves wanted, they ran an article titled Starbucks Closes Multiple Coffee Shops in Democrat-Run Cities. They cited the president of a council of bosses in Philadelphia about crime, though, even though the Daily Wire did not take the opportunity to talk to a worker, if you can believe it. They just took what the bosses said at face value that, okay, yeah, they're saying that they're closing these stores because of crime. That must be why there could be no other reason for this. Other than, you know, the highest profile union campaign in half a century. Probably nothing to do with closing 16 stores, including multiple unionized locations and one where there was a union election ongoing. Probably nothing to do oh, with that. Oh, pure coincidence, I'm sure. Totally coincidental. Totally coincidental. Um, and then Schultz got even more explicit in his implicit cry for right-wing propagandists to come to his aid as he blasted quote-unquote governments for not fighting crime. And again, Ben Shapiro's lackeys were more than happy to tow the boss's line. We're more than happy to tow the boss's line on this one. It is, uh, I mean, it's just, and, and they ran another article 
And I, I 100% agree with you, Jacob. This, I think this was intentional. Uh, this line of you know discussion about crime. I think that they put this out there knowing this is catnip to the far right media media ecosystem, mm-hmm. and this allows them to partner with right. the Ben Shapiro's of the world in their union busting activities. Right. It it I mean it's enlisting these people in the public campaign against their own workers and this is an ostensibly progressive company this is somebody who previously ran for the democratic nomination for president this is somebody who was previously said to be the democratic appointee for hillary clinton's administration should she have won in 2016 for the department of labor this is somebody who is ostensibly a progressive democrat type person but here he is enlisting right-wing Koch brother funded reactionary propagandists in his war against his workers by doing this by attacking democrats by pretending that this is about crime by offering absolutely no supporting evidence that these stores are unprofitable or that this is what the workers there wanted just by saying crime and just by attacking democrats they've gotten these people to do what they want Uh, but surprisingly when you talk to workers they got a different take on their shop site being shut down if you can believe it rather than believing it is for their safety or being done on their behalf The baristas that in these times spoke to were surprised by the closures. They were upset, and they said that they were bargaining for fixes that would prevent the necessity of closing stores. In These Times is a magazine that does a lot of labor reporting that reports on a lot of these stories, and uh, they did actually take the time to talk to baristas to see what they had to think about these store closures. Unlike the Daily Wire who is, much like any of these other right-wing propaganda outlets, they like to pretend that they are giving you the news in an unbiased way outside of their opinion section. They're giving you the news in an unbiased way that they are just giving you the facts and they're letting you decide what the narrative is. But here, clearly, clearly, they're pushing Howard Schultz's narrative. Even though even though Howard Schultz uh, is woke, even though this is somebody, this is a company that they have gone on many a tirade about for them having having the gall to have red coffee cups during Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. It's really amazing. But uh, but you know, as long as as long as they can hurt workers, then they're fine with it. Th- this. Seems so obvious to me that this is what Starbucks was doing, and and it, and it is almost a little bit surprising that they're not um, that they're not running with what the actual people on the ground would be saying, just as a sort of Schadenfreude kind of thing, uh, you know, because that's what they've done for Disney, you know, when uh, uh, um, Ron DeSantis in Florida has actually gone on the attack against disney uh because they're too woke or whatever um and 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 so it is a little bit surprising to me that starbucks is is just basically saying you know oh yeah daddy schultz yeah we'll do exactly what you want us to do and we will participate in your um in your public pressure campaign against your employees a couple of weeks ago 
A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the recent wage increase for the teachers in the state of Alabama actually decreased retirements from the record high the year before. And with that, I think that there is a clear path forward for addressing the teacher shortage in the state of Alabama, which would be higher wages for teachers, more freedom for the teachers to teach, less, you know, uh, uh, less, uh, <laughs> less restriction on their ability to teach, smaller classroom sizes, better working conditions, you know, because this, this is, seems to be what has worked. We've offered a pretty substantial raise to people who have been there a long time. And what happened? We saw retirements decrease this year from the record high the year before when they were projected to be even higher than last year before this wage increase. So we've got a clear and proven method to retain talent in the teaching industry and and um, and bring in more talent and attract talent. So naturally... The Alabama State Board of Education is lowering standard for certifying teachers to, <laughs> to address the teacher shortage, as opposed to improving working conditions, as, a pro, as opposed to wa- raising wages, as opposed to decreasing classroom sizes, as opposed to making better working conditions. They're lowering standards for certifying teachers. It is the easier thing to do. Certainly the easier thing to do. Um, and I'm I'm just going to pick up here, Jacob, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know they've been talking about doing this for a little while now. Uh, they did finally do it at the Alabama Board of Education meeting uh, this week. Uh, but it's worth pointing out that on July 5th there was a report from the Alabama Commission on the Evaluation of Services, and um, in a July 12th article for AL.com, Rebecca Griesbach shared that the report, quote, criticized several aspects of statewide plans to address teacher shortages, noting high turnover rates, a failure to measure outcomes of costly campaigns, and troubling trends in teacher licensing. So it's interesting that here we are, you know, roughly within a week or two of each other, this report comes out verifying what common sense would tell you, which is some of the things Alabama has tried for this teacher shortage uh, is not particularly effective and is not even being really monitored for effectiveness. And the trends in teacher licensing and lowering the standards for entering the teaching profession is, you know, causing some concerns about just the degree of professionalization or in this case deprofessionalization that's happening with teachers um and i know you wanted my perspective on this because i am a former educator and i am a former staffer for aea uh so i've dealt with public education in in different capacities so to to bring some nuance to it i'll say this the the lowering of the standards uh that jacob reported on uh that you know you've probably seen in the news this week it's not quite as bad uh, as the headlines may, may make it out to be. Uh, there are uh, basically they're giving some wiggle room for folks who were kind of right there on the edge of getting their certification, but are a few points shy of passing something called the praxis exam. Everyone has to pass this praxis exam in order to, 
become a certified teacher in the state of Alabama. And so they are trying to lower the score thresholds for certain folks if they have other ways to comp- compensate for that uh, with, say, their GPA in college, for example. So that's not quite as bad as it may sound. Um, and on that note, I will also just add that the, pra- the Praxis exam is not necessarily a reflection of your capacity to be a good teacher. You can make a perfect score on, on that test, but that doesn't mean you know how to deliver instruction to a room full of you know, 12-year-olds. Uh, it doesn't mean you know how to manage a classroom or, or write engaging lessons or uh, assess your students' progress. It just means that you are really good at a test. Um, and I think we do have to take a step back and ask ourselves in the education community, why is it that we allow a multiple choice test by the Pearson Corporation to be a determinant of whether or not someone should be a teacher? You know, I think there are, there are better measures and there are more holistic approaches we can take. All that said, the fact that Alabama is responding to this teacher shortage that we hear about on the news at this point, uh, it seems like every week. The fact that their you know, most high-profile response right now is to lower the standards to entry is pretty absurd on its face. And I think if you would consider most any other profession uh, and compare it, you would, you would see that, right? I mean, if we, we know there's a shortage of airline pilots right now, but my guess is most of us would not want the, the standards lowered to become a pilot, right? Uh, I don't want to make it to where folks who currently are failing their their pilots exams uh, can be just passed on through. Uh, if I have a doctor who's about to operate on me, I'd like to know that they actually met their requirements and you know graduated from medical school and got their medical license um, through some degree of competency and not just because the scores were lowered the score thresholds were lowered just because they were that desperate to get warm bodies in the positions. So there is some nuance there, but again, you know, Alabama lowering the barriers to entry, this is not the first time they've done this. Um, Over the years, we've seen multiple attempts uh, to more or less deprofessionalize the profession, um, whether it's rules about quote unquote adjunct instructors Mm. uh, that were implemented a few years ago um, or whether it's this in terms of lowering the practice scores. This is an ongoing effort. um, And and I think it is troubling because the same folks who are pushing these sort of measures are also the exact same folks demanding more accountability for teachers uh, and proclaiming teachers to be, you know, overpaid, lazy government employees who are harming your children. Right. So there are all those bad things. But no one wants to be one of those. Surprise, surprise. I guess, you know, no one wants to jump into the fire and and be demonized as a child groomer uh, and as a lazy government worker. Uh, So they demand more accountability on one hand while lowering the standards for entry on the other. And this contradiction is not going to improve uh, in, uh, instruction for students, and it's certainly not going to improve the teacher turnover rate. We have pretty clear ideas about what can help with that. 
you mentioned some of them, Jacob, in terms of better pay, better retirement benefits, better working conditions. And that's the thing that really gets lost in this conversation, even with um, a decent pay raise that was passed this past legislative session, uh, particularly up in uh, the higher years of experience. They did re reform the salary matrix. There is improvement. Um, so while some folks are only seeing a 4% pay raise, some folks are seeing, you know, 10, 15, up to 20%. <clears throat> That's significant. That actually outpaces inflation, uh, which mm. many folks are, are not getting raises that will do that. Right. But the, the bigger issue is the way in which working conditions are not being addressed. And frankly, you're not even hearing that from AEA either. I know right-wing media would have you believe that uh, they are like this all-powerful, shadowy leftist group pulling all the strings and running our schools. Uh, but that is just – that only exists in the right-wing imagination. I, right. I can promise you that. Uh, if you don't believe me as a former staffer and a former teacher, go talk to any rank-and-file teacher. If you can find me one out of ten who could name you a single official with AEA or NEA, I would be shocked. Right. Uh, or if they could tell you a single proposal that either of these organizations are pushing beyond improve the budget, improve pay, and uh, keep things from getting worse. That is the A, B, and C of the legislative agenda for the education uh, community in this state. And uh, while there's certainly merit to that, because we do need more funding and we do need better pay, and we certainly don't want to make things worse with more privatization uh, and attacks on public schools, it's clearly not sufficient. Because when you talk to teachers, it's the working conditions that are typically going to be first on their mind. Um, the ability to go to the bathroom, it's, it's things that basic. The ability to use the classroom supply money that the state appropriates to them. The ability to use that money when they actually need it and not just when some school district CFO decides they feel like releasing it to them and feel like taking it back. Mm. Um, it's the lack of planning time. In the state of Alabama, teachers are only guaranteed 30 minutes in their workday free of instruction or supervision. And that time is frequently abused because there is no penalty in the law for school districts abusing it. And notice I said free from instruction or supervision. It doesn't even guarantee that you have that time to plan your lessons and to call parents and to grade papers. Because if some jackass principal or HR director or central office bureaucrat decides that you need to sit in a meeting every single day during your planning period, they'll just do that. Because they can't. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're not addressing class size limits. There are no class size limits in the state of Alabama. There are only recommendations. And you can guess how, how far those, those carry weight when there's no teeth to it. Right. Research is very clear on how class size impacts achievement and how it impacts teacher retention and turnover. So we need conversations around real class size limits with actual enforceable mechanisms. We need conversations about expansion of planning time and prep time so that teachers have the time to do their job instead of relying on unpaid hours outside of their contract, which is the current system. We need to talk about paid maternity leave because yes, teachers have sick leave, but you're talking about an overwhelmingly female profession and you don't even have maternity leave in 2022. It's absurd. 
Right. Yeah. And and the 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 big elephant in the room is that students all over the state of Alabama are coming to us in from poverty. They're coming to us with incarcerated parents, with no parents, with drug addicted parents. Our school, our public schools are just a reflection of the neighborhoods and communities outside of them. And so the issues that we have in Alabama in terms of our quality of life, the lack of health care, the lack of good employment options, the spread of drug addiction, mental illness that with no mental health treatment available, mass incarceration, racism, and other forms of bigotry. These are absolutely reflected in our public schools and in the lackluster results of public school achievement. And teachers can't fix that by themselves. There are things that we can do inside of our schools to deal with those socioeconomic obstacles, but it requires funding and it requires actual prioritization. You have to make it a priority. So I think those are some of the issues that are being lost in this conversation. It goes well beyond whether or not we should lower or raise the score on a multiple choice test to whether you can be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And it even goes beyond salary, as important as that is, because even with these pay raises, teachers are still underpaid compared to similarly educated professionals, right? You have to go to college. You have to get a college degree. You have to have an internship, an entire semester of internship that is unpaid, Um let me tell you, that's that's not fun to right. do a, to basically have a full time job that is unpaid and still try to pay your bills. Um, the only way you do that is student loans for most folks and uh, Alabama. You don't see them talking about forgiving student loans for teachers, not on any kind of massive scale. Uh, you don't see them putting a moratorium on the privatization of support staff because who wants to be a special education teacher? When you know when you walk in the room, you're not going to have the adults there that you need, that your students are required to have by federal law. Why? Because, well, who's going to go work for a temp agency for $13 an hour with no benefits, no retirement, no due process, no union, nothing but $13 an hour to be a special education aide doing some of the most difficult work in a public school? So those are just some of the thoughts that I have about Alabama's lackluster response to the teacher shortage. And I I mean, it it really is indicative of the lack of, uh, I was going to say lack of imagination, but lack of actual interest in addressing the problem that instead of doing any of these number of things, um, continuing on this path that we have shown just within the last year with the wage increases uh, that a lot of these, uh, you know, the, the ones at the bottom of the pay scale, their raises didn't quite match inflation, but the ones at the top of the pay scale, the ones who've been there for 20 years or so, they way outpaced inflation. And we saw a decrease in retirements, right. a, a, a marked right. decrease in retirements from the year before. And so we've got this tried and true method to address the teacher shortage in Alabama. And there's just not any interest in continuing down this road uh, because that wouldn't, that would, you know, entail 
some amount of actual investment, some amount of, of, you know, it's just, it's bizarre. And then, but we do have $400 million to build up a new prison. Right. Uh, Well, I mean, at the end of the day, there are very wealthy, powerful interests who want to see public education fail. Right. And a, and a high teacher turnover rate advances that mission. So, you know, make no mistake, this is not by accident. This is, in many cases, a very intentional effort to have high teacher turnover. And whether it's intentional or not, it is absolutely the result of policy choices, right. policy choices that could be different. Yeah. I saw that we did end up losing our caller. Uh, we've got our um, we've got our tech guy in uh, down here back in the studio now. So if you do want to call back in during overtime and talk to us, feel free. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call or text the program. Uh, and if you call right at the beginning of overtime, we will take your call. Uh, otherwise, we'll be talking to Mel and then playing an interview with the Scottsboro Starbucks united workers who are forming a union um down in scottsboro yeah, i don't want to miss that <clears throat> it was probably one of my favorite interviews to date a really really good group of folks down there organizing a union um at the starbucks in scottsboro really cool stuff um just a reminder there is an alabama arise listening session on saturday next week uh the 23rd from 10 30 to 11 30 at lakeside united methodist church um, and you can buy uh, one of our hats, our new shirt, or give us money on our website, tvlr.fm. And uh, so with that, go ahead and find us online on YouTube at The Valley Labor Report, where we will be talking to Mel Buer about the rail workers and the issues with the supply chain and playing the interview that we did yesterday with the Scottsboro Starbucks Workers United Organizing Committee. Until then, and until next week, all power to the workers. You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.